If you have a Bible, open up to Song of Solomon, chapter 5. We're in the middle of this series. We're teaching through the book, Song of Solomon. Hopefully this has blessed somebody. Has blessed anybody? These people over here. Amen. All right. I'll preach to you guys. No. Um, we're going to wrap this up, I think, in the next couple weeks here. Uh, this is my favorite section. We're going to do chapter 5 and 6 today. In this section... The Bride of Christ. Did you forget something? I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> at least you didn't walk off. That would be... Um, anyway, in this section, the Bride of Christ, she experiences the second major crisis where it seems like Jesus has left her. If you'll remember, I know it's been a little bit because we had the Christmas, all the Christmas stuff. But this story is about the relationship between Jesus and uh, the church, or you can read it um, as you and Jesus, the individual relationship. And when you do that, it helps you to understand what that relationship looks like. Have any of you ever felt like Jesus was far away from you? Okay. <laughs> In this story, the bride is going to experience that. And this is going to be the second time that that occurs and uh, after she deals with this crisis, she never again experiences that phenomena. If we can get the revelation that she gets after experiencing this hardship, uh, you can go through life without feeling like Jesus has abandoned you. Now, that doesn't mean that um, there's always the same level of his manifest presence or something like that, or that everything works perfectly or anything like that. But I can honestly stand here and say that it's been, I don't know, years and years and years since I've felt what she's going to feel like in just a moment. And I don't say that to brag at all. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with Jesus' faithfulness and the fact that he's committed in relationship with us. And so... If, if we understand this section, I, this is my favorite section just because of, of that revelation and how much it's helped me personally. So we're going to uh, talk through this, and then we're just going to practice experiencing the presence of God. Does that sound all right? Yeah. Well, we're going to do it anyway. So, <laughs> Song of Solomon chapter 4, we read verse 18, or excuse me, verse 16. Last week, uh, the bride prayed, Awake, or is it two weeks ago? Awake, O north wind, and come thou south. Blow upon my garden that the spices may flow out. You'll remember that the garden is a picture of her heart. So she's saying, Jesus, I'm committed to relationship with you. And through the good times and the bad times, through the, the hills and valleys, somebody said, uh, I'm going to worship you. And, and that worship is going to flow out of my heart. And that is Jesus' inheritance. In Psalm chapter 2 the father told Jesus that Jesus would pray to him and God would give him the heathen, the, the heathen nations, that's us, all right, people outside of, of Israel. Uh, he would give us to Jesus as his inheritance. So inside you, you have uh, love and uh, affection for Jesus that when you give it to him, that's what he died for. And, and uh, he died to save you, certainly, but he died to be in relationship with you. Yeah, yeah. And that relationship matters to him. And when uh, we worship Jesus, even in difficult times, it's like an aroma that goes up to heaven that's unique. And we don't always have that opportunity because one day we'll go to heaven and then there won't be any more suffering and we won't have the opportunity to worship him in the midst of trial. Yeah. 
So that's what she's talking about. And then in chapter 5, verse 1, Jesus responds and she says, All right. And he says, All right. I've come into my garden, my sister, my spouse. I've gathered my myrrh and my spice. I've eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I've drunk my wine and my milk. He's saying, I'm enjoying you. I'm enjoying relationship with you. He says in an earlier verse that your love is much better than wine. Then he says, Eat up, O friends, and drink, yea, drink abundantly. If you'll fall in love with Jesus... Your life will be a blessing to Him, but it will also flow out and affect other people. Amen. Is that true? And, and you'll be a blessing. You'll be a source of life and health and joy to those around you. So he says, join in. Enjoy the love that my bride has. Now, there's a scene break, all right? It's like a play. And so in the next scene, we see the bride, and she's asleep in her house. And so she says, I'm asleep, but my heart wakes. And then it says, it's the voice of my beloved that knocks, saying, open to me, my love, my dove, my undefiled, for my head is filled with dew, my locks with drop with the night. So Jesus is doing what Revelation says. He's knocking on the door of her heart. Everybody with me so far? And what she says, she says, I've put off my coat. How shall I put it on? I've washed my feet. How shall I defile them? Well, this is like, you know, you, you lay down in bed to read your Bible and you're trying to read it and your eyes start drooping, right? It's, it's the invitation to go do something and, and the bride saying, look, I'm tired. I can't do, can I do this in the morning? Uh, you know, I got stuff on my mind. I'm busy. I've already put my coat off. And what happens next is, is Jesus, it says, he put his hand by the hole in the door and my bowels, the inner part of my heart, was moved for him. This, I'm sure most of you have experienced, it's just this simple thing where you can feel the pull of God, the presence of God, tug on your heart. How many of you ever felt that? It's an invitation to go in fellowship with him. I love that feeling. It's a, it's a, it's a grace, it's a gift. From God, and we want to respond appropriately to it. So she does. She says, I rose up to my beloved, and my hands dropped with myrrh, and my fingers with sweet smelling myrrh upon the handles of the lock. Okay, this is, this is important. We'll come back to it later. But it appears like she wakes up and she starts getting herself ready to let him in. And it used to be a custom that when somebody came into your house in that culture, you'd anoint them with, with oil, right? So she gets some like anointing oil, it, it would appear on her hands, and then she goes to unlock the door. All right, we'll come back to that in a little bit. Now, here's the crisis. I opened to my beloved, but he had withdrawn himself and was gone. That's not good. My soul failed when he spoke. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called to him, but he gave me no answer. Anybody ever... Somebody said, oh, I prayed, but it felt like my, you know, my prayer didn't get above the ceiling. It's like I was talking to a wall or something. I called him, but he gave me no answer. The watchman, so, so, okay, so it's not, not bad enough that Jesus doesn't appear to be talking to her. But then he says, the watchman that went about the city found me. They smote me and they wounded me. She's beginning to be persecuted. It's a bad day. And the keeper of the wall took away my veil from me. The veil is a symbol of modesty. 
And so what they're saying is that your love for Jesus, it's, it's immodest. A lot of times if you get real zealous for Jesus, there'll be people around you that, that think you're a little bit too nuts. Anybody experience that? Does that give you liberty to be mad at them and bitter? Does it give you liberty to think you're a better Christian? No, and if you fall into that pit, you trap, it's, a, it's actually a test. You want to you avoid that. But anyway, that's not the big picture. The big picture is she can't feel Jesus' presence. She can't hear his voice. She's going around freaking out. People are persecuting her for her love for Jesus, and they're accusing her of not serving Jesus in an authentic way. One time I preached this message, and I was, I was praying for people afterwards, and and you know, some wild stuff happened. And anyway, then the next day, this lady came to me and she, she railroaded me and she's criticizing me and accusing me of, of, of preaching Jesus in a wrong way and, and all this stuff. It really grieved my heart. And, and what was happening is, is basically this, is questioning your love for Jesus. And if you really love Jesus, that hurts. The devil knows what the button is. That's just what's going on in her life. Well, that's a bad deal, <laughs> but that's not the end. So she says, I charge you. So now she finds these daughters of Jerusalem, which are sort of like nominal Christians, all right? And so she, she finds these guys, and she says, if you find my beloved, tell him that I'm still in love with him. I'm lovesick. It's a great statement. Even though she's going through hardship, even though she's confused, she says, look, I'm still in love with Jesus. I don't know what's going on in my life. There's crazy stuff happening. There's pain. There's difficulty. People are persecuting me. There's problems in my family. People are sick. There's, you know, life's happening. That happened to anybody? Life is happening, but I'm still in love with Jesus. Now, they say this. What is your beloved more than any other beloved, O thou fairest among women? What's your beloved more than any other beloved that you charge us so? This is an accusatory question. It's like it's the same question, basically, that Job's friends and his wife asked. You know, Job had the, the worst day of all days. And then, and then his wife comes to him and says, you know what you ought to do? You might as well just curse God and die. She says that. It's not really good advice. But, but, you know, these sometimes people in your life, they'll come to you and they'll be like, well, what's this serving Jesus? How's that even helping you? It's not helping you that much, is it? Because, I mean, look, you're, you've got problems. Anybody ever heard, heard to have somebody say that to you? All right? It's not, it's not, who is this Jesus? He's not that great, is he? Well, by this point, the bride has reached some level of maturity, and she's, she's offended by this question. And something starts to rise up on the inside of her. And I want you to notice what she starts to say. She says, she says My beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among 10,000. His head is his most fine gold. His locks are bushy and black like a raven. His eyes are the eyes of doves by the waters and fitly set. His uh, skip to verse 14. His hands are as gold rings set with beryl. Verse 15. His legs are like pillars of marble 
16, his mouth is most sweet. Yes, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O you daughters of Jerusalem. She says, listen, guys, you don't know what you're talking about. Jesus died for me. Jesus bore stripes on his back for my healing. Jesus had a crown of thorns pushed into his head and the blood ran down his face to deal with my mental anxiety. Jesus' body was broken so that my heart could be made whole. The sin of the entire human race was placed on him on the cross. He declared once and for all that he is in love with humanity. And in that moment when he died on the cross, the powers of darkness were broken and the idolatrous worship of of a false image of God was destroyed and we began to see that God is not some pagan bloodthirsty deity, but rather he is a loving, self-sacrificing, self-serving God that comes down here and, and sacrificially gives himself for his people. And she starts to worship. This is what she's doing. She doesn't realize it, but she's starting to think about all the good things that Jesus has done for her. Do you know that if you go around looking at all the bad and you start listening to the world's, you know, headphones and everything is terrible, everything is terrible, and you're thinking about all this stuff that's going on in the world and what the devil is trying to tell you, it can be hard to hear the voice of God. And you can get confused and you can, you can really easily lose sight of all the good things that Jesus has done for you. Recently, Molly was, was telling me, she was like, do you remember when we prayed for that little girl who was deaf in one ear and her ear opened up? And I was like, no. I was like, when did that happen? <laughs> she told me about it. I was, like, I was like, oh, yeah, that was amazing. I thought, how do you forget that? But you can if you're not careful. And then I started thinking about all these other miracles that I'd seen happen and, and uh, you know, cancer, leaving people's bodies. And I thought about um, uh, people's nerves being healed and, and all this stuff I'd seen. And I thought about just all the good things I had in my life. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I was like, I have faith. Yeah. Praise, Praise God. <laughs> Why is that? It's not, it's not that anything different changed from God. It's that my perspective changed. And as I began to to praise and worship God, I began to grow in faith. Colossians 2 verse 7 says, Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. You'll abound in faith if you'll learn to give thanks to God. That's how you abound in faith. You you quit listening to the complaining and you you start thanking God. All right, so that's what she does. She starts making all these awesome statements and she's saying, you know, look, I don't know everything that's going on in the world and and life is confusing and I know that there's problems and, and whatever, but I know Jesus isn't the problem because Jesus died for me and I know Jesus loves me. Hallelujah. And I'm not, I'm not backing off of that. I'm going to believe, believe in Jesus. I'm going to trust Jesus, even though there's, even though there's problems and evil and, and whatever. I'm going to quit looking at all the evil, and I'm going to look at the good in my life and be thankful. All right, now, now this is the awesome part, okay? Chapter 6, verse 1, 
All right, so she says all this stuff to the daughters of Jerusalem, and then they, they ask her the really stinging question. Are you ready for it? Where is your beloved gone then, O thou fairest among women? Where has he turned aside that we may seek him with you? I believe this is sort of a disingenuous question. You're saying he's so great. Well, where is he? Where is your God? <coughs> Looks to me like he's abandoned you. But notice, the bride has just made all these faith declarations, and they say, where is your beloved? <coughs> and see, a light bulb goes off in her brain. And she says this, my beloved is gone down into his garden to the bed of spices to feed among the lilies and to gather the li- to feed among the gardens and gather the lilies. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. He feeds among the lilies. I know that sounds like poetic language. What she's saying is, my beloved is exactly where he said he would be. He's in my heart. And even if I can't feel him, even if there's not the manifestation that I currently want, even if not everything is perfect in my life, I know that the scripture says that he would never leave me or forsake me, and I know where Jesus is. He's right here with me, the same as he's always been. Nothing has changed. My perception may have changed, but I know where Jesus is. He's with me. And the moment she makes that statement, it's like the headphones come off and she hears the voice of God again. And this is what he says. You are beautiful. Oh, my love, as Tirzah, comely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army with banners. Turn away your eyes from me, for they have overcome me. There have been times in my life where I've glimpsed just little pieces of the goodness and love of God. And it's been so intense and so overwhelming that I've, I've literally said to God, you've you got to quit looking at me like that. It's too intense. I can't, I can't take it. Turn away your eyes from me. And Jesus says, when you believe me, when you stand in faith in, in the midst of difficult circumstances and you choose worship and you recognize that I'm with you and that I would never abandon you, when you look at me in that lens of faith, I feel the same way. He says, avert your eyes from me. They've overcome me. That's an intense statement. God is so in love with you. He really, really is. So that's the big, that's the big message, I think, of this whole book. She goes through these two crises where she feels like God's abandoned her, but what she finds out after she worships through this difficulty that he hasn't abandoned her. So what do you do in times of difficulty? You worship and you thank God, even though you don't feel anything, and then you'll you'll feel something. Is that true? Yes. That's that Casey was singing about it. So I want to just give you seven real quick keys to experiencing more of God's manifest presence. So here's the, here's the deal. God, there's a thing called the abiding presence, and there's a thing called the 
manifest presence. The, the abiding presence is just the fact that God's always with us. He abides with us. He lives with us. It's like dad. You know, I have three little kids. Dad's always there. They're not always aware that I'm there, but dad's always there. But there are times when they're more aware of me because of either something I'm doing, like on Christmas when I'm giving them presents. God loves to give presents. He's a big giver. Or because of something they're doing, because they shift their focus towards me, right? And so it's similar with God. We, we want to experience His manifest presence. So when I say that, it's, I know it's kind of churchy, but what I mean is we want you to, to somehow have an awareness that God is, is there with you. We don't want it to just be a theological mental ascent. We want you to, to uh, hear His voice in your heart or uh, sense His presence in some sort of tangible way. Now, if you don't, does that mean Jesus has left you? No, no that's the whole point of the deal. But you can learn uh, to really to sense Him at any time. And, and one of my favorite things to do, and I... It, does, it used to take, you know, a lot longer for me to be able to do this. But now, I, you know, I've, I've grown in this. I can take a few moments and I can just close my eyes. I can just say, I can just say, thank you, Jesus. I love you. And I can, I can sense that he's with me. And it's not always an intense thing. It's not, I don't always, you know, hear some sort of, I've never heard an audible voice or anything like that. But, but I, can, I can know that he's there. And um, I can hear him speak to me and stuff. And so uh, if you want to grow in that, then there's, there's seven quick things I wanted to show you, and then we're going to practice. Is that all right? All right, so real quickly, one, number one thing that you want to get from this message is that any apparent withdrawal of Jesus from your life is an illusion. Everybody say it with me. It's an illusion. There's, a, <laughs> there's an old joke. There's an old, older couple driving down the, driving down the road. And, the, you know, the man's driving, woman's over here. And they see a young couple, and they're driving down the road. And the young couple's all cuddled together, and the, the man's got one arm on the wheel and his other arm around his wife, right? And so the older couple looks at that couple and says, and the wife says, Oh, do you remember when we were like that? Isn't that sweet? And the man says, I didn't move. The father's the man in that analogy, all right? So any apparent withdrawal is an illusion, and, and God is always with you, all right? Then you want to respond to the voice of Jesus. So if you feel the tug of God on your heart like the, like the bride does, he's inviting you into some kind of encounter with him. So you want to learn to say yes if you want to experience the presence of God. That's pretty simple, right? It's not legalism to respond to the, to the call of God. It's, it's faith. You know, sometimes you got, if, if God, if you're laying in bed and God invites you to come pray and get out of bed and pray, you can't really complain to God that you don't sense his presence if you don't get out of bed. Just being real, right? So, I mean, I mean, you can't, you can't complain to God. Well, God, I don't, I don't ever hear your voice. Well, I mean, have you, do you read the Bible? Do you pray? You go to a conference. I mean, so you can't earn hearing the voice of God by doing those things, but, but it's like, you know, you, you, have, to, you have to respond to, to the grace. You've got to do some stuff sometimes, all right? 
Uh, Jude 21 says, keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself in the love of God. It doesn't say make God love you. You can't make God love you. God always loves you. The love of God is like a waterfall coming out of heaven. All right? But what you can do is go stand under the waterfall. You can pray in the Spirit. Jude 20 and 21 say that. Also, I talk about praying in tongues. Um, we encourage you. We pray in tongues. Uh, it's, it's good. It helps you. Um, and then, if you'll remember that image where the bride, she, she's trying to open the door with the anointing oil on her hands. To me, that symbolizes trying to usher God into your life through your own works. If you're trying to do everything right and gussy yourself up before you let Jesus in, he, that doesn't work. Just let Jesus in, and then he'll fix you up. All right? Worship and thank him. We already talked about that. This is a big one. Learn to endure hardship and persecution in faith. There is hard stuff in life, but as you learn to stand up under it and praise God, there's, there's encounter on the battlefield. And when you come through the other side, you'll have a more intimate relationship with Jesus, and it's powerful. And then this is maybe the most important one. Be thankful for and steward well small breakthroughs. The small breakthrough. If I can be thankful for the small manifestation, the partial manifestation, then that's what positions me to receive the full thing. If I'm not thankful for the small thing, then, then I'm, I'm, a lot of times I'll, I'll stop the manifestation from happening. A simple example, I can't tell you how many people I've seen healed that if I had stopped praying after, after I prayed one time and, and it seemed like maybe they got a little bit better or maybe not at all, if I'd have quit then, if I'd have been unthankful for the small breakthrough, I wouldn't have got the whole thing. So, so keep believing God. Amen? All right. Casey, can you come up here and just worship the Lord? So I'm going to, um, we're going to do something special. Molly and I are going to pray for anybody that wants, wants us to pray for you uh, in just a second. What, what I'm going to do, I'm going to have us all stand up. Casey's going to worship and, and stuff. It'll be, it'll be awesome. But I'm going to pray for everybody. And then I'll dismiss service. Um, but I just thought it's, you know, you preach a message like this, you ought to give people opportunity to practice being in the presence of God and being touched by the presence of God. So one of the ways that's helpful in doing that, that you can learn to do that, is if somebody that knows how to release the presence of God from the inside of them prays for you. Nothing magical about it, but uh, the Holy Spirit lives in here, lives in Molly and I. We can let him rise up out of us and, and touch you. And so we'll pray for you. And what that can do is it can, it can increase the intensity of whatever it is God's doing. So you might, you might hear his voice more clearly. You might uh, have some kind of physical sensation or manifestation or whatever. But what I want to encourage you, don't force anything. We're not, this is, Barbara, this is practice, right? So that means there's no pressure. Is there pressure? There's no pressure. Right? So whatever happens is, is good, and we're just thankful, and we just enjoy being in His presence. So don't try to force something to happen. Just receive whatever God wants to do for you. Is that okay?
Spirit, let your glory come right now. Let your manifest presence increase. Speak to people's hearts. Let your fire come right now and touch people. Awaken our hearts to the reality of your omnipresence, the fact that you never leave us or forsake us. Let us become more and more aware of your love. I pray for a fresh baptism of your love this morning. That people would take up the mantle of understanding that they're your beloved sons and daughters. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We worship you this morning. Right now, if you want Molly and I to pray for us, for you, or you feel God touching you or something, just come make a line right down here in the front.